From WHYY and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hitting Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn. Uh, and with me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Hello, Justin. Another devastating weekend of horrible winter weather is on the way, and we can warm ourselves only with the bounty of news coming out of not only <laughs> Phillies, but baseball in general. Just a fun, fun time to be a baseball fan. No, it's, it's, you know, we don't have to talk about it because it's kind of the only thing anybody's talking about, but it is a, it has been a categorically dead off season. I'm sure that will be countered by a flurry of moves, not maybe a couple weeks in the future, a you know, particular date as, you know, deadlines approach and teams work through arbitration with players and everything. There will be more more deals made, more hands shaken. Free agents will find homes and deals will be struck uh, after long negotiations. But until then, we have some time to fill and we will hopefully get to fill all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will have to fill all of it. What we'll fill it with is a different story. Right. And, you know, it's not like there's other sports events happening in the city right now, you know. Whether, not that anyone wants nothing anyone wants to talk about. If you want to tune into the Eagles playoff loss this weekend or talk about the Flyers getting JD Drewed by their uh, oh. prospect or the Sixers not Big playing Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid, yeah. Yeah, Joel Embiid is hurt. Just an overall tense. Going great. Tense time in the city of Philadelphia. There's a lot of clenched fists, I feel. A lot of silent train rides where everybody's just kind of in their heads pursing their lips waiting for the the next shoe to drop just a real <laughs> fun to time figure out what to look at what to read what to think about when sports is making you this unhappy yeah there's there's just not not a thing to turn to at the moment that doesn't ratchet that tension even further up so let's let's break the tension with a little phillies talk talk about the one one team that is not in season currently let's uh let's let's just kind of Calm everybody down with uh, with some conversations about what's going on with the Phillies, which is, again, close to nothing, which also, I guess, based on what we just said, is better than. Uh... Yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> they're not doing anything to piss anyone off right now. Hooray. I mean, there are people out there who are mad because nothing has been done. Uh, for instance, when uh, Matt. Gel <laughs> We're going to name names about people who are being whiny, <laughs> whiny idiots out there. I thought you were about to name a name. No, I'm not going to name a name, but it was a reaction I saw that I really enjoyed. When Matt Gelb tweeted out that the Phillies had avoided arbitration with Ranger Suarez, as well as all of their arbitration-eligible players, except for one, whom we will talk about in a minute. Uh, but when Matt Gelb tweeted out that they had avoided arbitration with Ranger Suarez, the first response I saw was someone saying, this team has done virtually nothing to improve. I, yes! Oh. Liz, your thoughts. You can't, you, you can't, we're unde undefeated. We are as a fan base for undefeated. Never, never happy. Even when a team isn't giving us really any reason to be unhappy. It's like, did they sign to Nola and then stopped because there were no better players to sign at that moment. And the only thing they could do was sign worse players that would make everyone unhappy. So like uh, we're uh, again, undefeated as a fan base. We, we will be angry, always angry about something. I think the when you set a precedent of like starting in 2019, which is um, going on five years ago, 
the Bryce Harper oh, wow. signing was, <laughs> was just about five years or it was five years ago. It, it's mm-hmm. been it's been an amount of time. And in those five years, I think since signing Bryce Harper, the outlook at the offseason has been, OK, which universally famous baseball player are we going to get to come to Philadelphia and, you know, that, that hasn't been the case every winter, but even when it's like, oh, it's a normal winter, these you know, this free agent class, you know, there's not like a huge star in it, but there's a bunch of known names and guys we want and everything. People will either wait for like the biggest superstar to come to the Phillies, even if all reports indicate that's probably not going to happen, or they will build up someone they've decided is the key to the Phillies success and treat their signing or potential signing as if they are an international superstar. And then when that doesn't happen, they will again be upset. All of this gets wiped away by the time spring training rolls around. Don't get me wrong. This all stops being a thing. But people get genuinely upset with the team because I think of that one winter five years ago, we were all waiting around to see if the Phillies were going to be the team that signed Bryce Harper. It was a bit of a roller coaster ride. It definitely was emotional. There were times when it was reported that... Things were bad or the Phillies were kind of distant. John Middleton in that documentary about signing Harper, which is, I believe, just called signing Harper. Um, John Middleton even says, like, oh, I went to bed one night thinking we we were out, that we didn't get him. So, like, clearly there was some drama involved with that. It was all deeply unseen by anyone, you know, on social media or anything. There are you know, very few insiders out there as to that process and how most of these processes go down. Uh, but... The drama and the ultimate payoff of that offseason, I think, created this world for lots of fans, both new and old, that the winter was the time to sign superstars. And Trey Turner met, you know, check that box as well. Resigning JT dominated the the talk at one point. Like, bringing in these famous, awesome baseball players was just what you do. This this offseason was never going to be about that, but I think people just kind of went in with that same brain thing where they were just like, well, this is, it's the off season. Now the Phillies, you know, they, they sign a guy who makes them a ton better and, and that's going to be really satisfying, but no one said they that was going to happen. That, actually, the Phillies didn't say that was going to happen. Yeah, but you're right. Then they re-signed Aaron Nola and that was their big deal. of the that's him. So yeah, I just, I feel like uh, people's people, how people approach the off season has really changed in the last half decade. Is that something you've noticed? Well, yeah, because the Phillies are always signing big players. And I think the mistake this year is that everyone forgot, like, the moment the season was over, Aaron Nola was no longer ours. He belonged to the world. He belonged to the wind. You know, he was a free agent. And so you automatically had to consider the team without him. And I think that's not something that a lot of people did between the, you know, between the start of the offseason and when Nola signed. Because he is a big-name free agent. He just happened to be on the Phillies last year. Like maintaining a, a a star-studded roster when a team is doing well is just as important. And people just don't tend to see it as like an actual move, but it is. There was draw there was some tension around that for like a day. A couple hours on on one day for like an hour before the signing was known. I mean, when they didn't sign in spring training, the th- the thought was, oh, they're too far apart. Like this, yeah. is, this is good. We were t- the conversation for a while was, is he or is he not going to sign? And people, a lot of people thought he wasn't. You know, I, I feel like at least one or more of of uh, you, me, and John were definitely 
probably going side to side on that based on what recent reports were indicating. Like there was not a guaranteed thing. It feels like he's always been here now because like you said, it's like he never left, but he, he was not part of the Phillies organization there for a minute and they had to resign him. So that is, you're right. That was a huge free agent signing, a seven year, $172 million deal. It still makes them one of the top five spenders in free agency this off season, but because he was here before, it doesn't feel like a signing. So I think people still have that, that box unchecked in their heads. So they were like, Shohei Otani. Like, no, of course not. Well, what about, (laughs) what about Yamamoto? Yeah, well, no, I mean, they they made an no. attempt. They actually made a documented attempt on him, but he didn't seem to have any interest in coming here, which, you know, whatever. There was never any promises made there either. There's never any promises made in general. It's just more like, well, the Phillies want Trey Turner, and he wants to go there, and they need a shortstop, and he is a shortstop, and they have money, and they're willing to spend, and he wants money, and he's willing to accept it. So it seems like a good deal. It seems like a good deal. And then, you know, that happened within <laughs> 30 a, seconds. That's how contracts <laughs> tend to work. Yeah. So, you know, that... That worked out, I think, again, kind of, it was kind of an anomaly as far as those deals go. There was very, what felt like very little back and forth from our perspective. And man, I think we just have a, a precedent was set as far as how the Phillies approach the offseason now. This was, it's kind of reminiscent of like Ruben Amaro era where it was like, boy, what crazy, there's going to be like one big crazy thing where the Phillies dominate baseball headlines. I wonder what it's going to be whether it was at the trade deadline or in the offseason. You knew he was he was cooking up something because he couldn't help himself. And it is kind of reminiscent has, of that. Yeah, he always has something burning. Uh, but, like, for uh, Amaro loved to chase the high. Uh, th- that's what it seems to me. He, he wanted to recreate that feeling. And Dave Dombrowski is more like, I control the entire chess board. I will say sure. something to you now. And in, in six months, you'll remember and trade me this player I want. <laughs> I'm not sure Ruben Amaro could have listed the names of all the Phillies minor league affiliates, but I know he he knew who he wanted to trade for it at, at every trade deadline. What big oh, name yeah. player on another team? Yes. He wanted. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of which, Matt Gelb reports that the Phillies won't pursue Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery, barring an unforeseen market collapse. No news there. Wasn't really. <laughs> Again, apparently people needed to be told that. That right. was not a thing. That was a thing before they resigned Aaron Nola. Now that's not a thing. That that was probably not going to happen. Uh, so yeah, and that they did, like I said, avoid arbitration with Ranger Suarez. I wanted to take a moment to just you know have some Ranger Suarez appreciation. I feel like as far as rotations go, you kind of leave the, these last two postseasons thinking like, boy, the Phillies could use another horse in their rotation. Like that'd be really nice to just throw another like number two ace level pitcher out there in the postseason. But then we entered the post, the, the off season and the Phillies were kind of ranked what, like one or two as far as top rotations in baseball and all these lists that came out. And it was like, Oh yeah, right, right. They're actually pretty good, especially with Nola back. Like they're very good. Obviously we are aware of what Nola's reputation is. Obviously we know what Nola's flaws are. We've all been watching him probably even more intently these last two years. We've watched him make the biggest starts of his life. Same with Zach Wheeler in the postseason. But there's just no getting around the fact that in baseball, those two guys are two of the best to have at the top of your rotation. But then you throw in Ranger Suarez and you're like, oh, right. He is also very good. I mean, having Suarez and and having him, A, develop into the kind of uh, reliable starter he's been uh, and, and coming back from injury and being the kind of pitcher he was for them, uh, in 2023, I mean, he is 
he is a success story for the Phillies, uh, for himself first and foremost, but also for the Phillies. He is a he is a success story, and it's great to have a third guy in the rotation that you can be like, yeah, this was great. Like this is uh, this this is not a this is not a white knuckle day. This is not a bullpen day. It's a Ranger Suarez start. I mean, he's filled a, a couple different roles with them, uh, but for the most part, when they've needed him to come out as a starter and make a big start, he's been able to do that. You know, yeah, he's not perfect, but. He has been a solid pitcher for the Phillies in that number three spot at the very least. And that is of value, too, because while this league has a shortage of number one ace pitchers to the point that, like, not everyone has one, a true ace, that uh, also has a shortage of, like, passable guys to slide into your three spot. You know, like there's there's a it feels like there's a shortage of really good pitching and the teams that have good pitching stand out. And that's one of the reasons the Phillies have been able to stand out these past two years. That's true. Like the I think you're right. I don't know what we expect our mid-rotation starters to look like anymore, but it is those types of guys. You know, like I think we expect them I think we expect them now to be like stars past their prime. Well, people like but, me just wanted them to sign Blake Snell and slot him into the three spot and be like, "All right, he's a number 3 starter." Now. He's not a number 3 starter. No. But like you want to be able to Again, this is probably the mindset of having four aces on that one team in 2011 once anything but like we <laughs> that's the thing what phillies have phillies fans have that not a lot of teams have is um dream has become reality the impossible has happened like he ruben amaro did put four legit aces on one team like and the Phillies will always have that and will always believe that's possible. There are some teams who believe nothing is possible. <laughs> there are some teams who don't believe a, a $100 million payroll is possible. Oh, yeah. The Rockies don't believe that uh, spending money is possible. The Orioles don't believe that high-end free agents are ever worth it. You know, yeah, there's some there's some weird beliefs floating between front offices throughout baseball. And, yeah, that yeah, ours... And fans expect what is given to them. Yeah. And we expect... We will always have it in the back of our minds that... It could always happen because it did happen once. And as long as it's happened once, it does give everyone after license to do it again. Yep. So that's Ruben Amaro trailblazer <laughs> precedent setter expectation setter Ruben Amaro. That's Ruben Amaro. that's dangerous. That's a dangerous <laughs> role. So man, go back in time and tell us from a few years ago about all this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mentioned that the Phillies didn't reach agreements with every arbitration-eligible player, and the one that they did not reach an agreement with was Alec Bohm, everyone's favorite third baseman. Um, he is seeking $4 million. The Phillies countered with 3.4. As usual, it's a difference that does not seem very meaningful, but in negotiating, every difference is meaningful. People will need to relearn, per this announcement, that this is not a terrible thing. Now, I'm not saying that from a place of condescension, because the only reason I think it's not a terrible thing is that I am told by people in the industry that it's not a terrible thing. If I didn't have them telling me that, I would assume this is a needless and stupid issue that could easily be solved by giving the player the typically small discrepancy between what they want and what the team wants, <laughs> rather than insulting them by presenting all the reasons why the player does not deserve the money and then damaging their relationship going forward. But apparently that does not happen. Do you believe that? Like, 
I, no, because <laughs> it does happen. It, it must absolutely happen. it does. Like people are like, oh, it's just business. And granted, we're not there, but you know what's very personal? Your business, <laughs> like the stuff that you do, the stuff that is your livelihood, is part of how you, of most people judge their self worth. That's very personal. Like, of course, it affects them. Like they. They know how they ultimately know how their managers feel about them. And hopefully they know how their GM and the their owner feels about them. But not every player does. And this is the type of process where, you know, it's uh, there's I'm just going to say there's really no need for it. There's just there's no, that really we really could get rid of this. It just feels just like a lot them of them the money. Like, I think the Lions are like, um are going to are going to arbitration with Casey Mize over $25,000. I could be wrong. I think but I I uh I vaguely remember my husband mentioning that to me. Oh, the Tigers. Yes, up. the Tigers, right. Tigers. Sorry, Did that, I not say I said the Lions? Yeah, that threw me yeah, off for sorry. a second, but I immediately figured out what you were talking about. Yes. My god. Um, I've got NFL on the brain, guys. Whew. Yeah, uh it it you know, and the, and the difference here for Bohm being a little so seven, over yeah, half a million dollars. It's, it's just like, really? We couldn't just... Don't you even want to just, from the ownership side, like, spare yourself that afternoon? Like, just free up that afternoon by being like, all right, here's, half, here's the half a million. And then you don't have to go to arbitration, which is a process that, um, as we are, are told, is when a third party is brought in to hear <laughs> both sides of the case. In my head, they're in a courtroom, but I really doubt they're in a courtroom. Um where the player's side says, this is why I deserve the $4 million I want, and the team side says, this is why he actually deserves $3.4 million. I don't know what this process looks like. In my head, it's like the Phillies come in and put on a low-light reel of Alec Bohm's worst <laughs> mistakes of the season and make everybody watch it, which is why I probably conclude this can't not affect somebody's relationship with the team. But again, it does not. I don't want to say that we aren't repeatedly told this is just business, and it's not a big deal. Alec Bohm will be on the Phillies this coming year, and you know that's that's this is all just business negotiating, blah blah blah. Uh, and I doubt anybody involves a PowerPoint saying like, "This is why this guy sucks." I mean, he doesn't suck; like we want him on the team, but this is why we think he he's not as good as the amount of money he wants by the fraction of that amount that we're saying he's not worth. It just again. You see that word salad? It was just, it just seems so unnecessary. But here we are. And I know a lot of people out there, this has also been a lesson in how many people out there really, really love Alec Bohm and how many people think that he's not very good. And I want to just point out that Alec Bohm, playing the role he plays on the Phillies, is is a good baseball player. Like, it is good he is on the Phillies. It is good he is, he is, uh, he plays. He bats lower in the lineup, which I think contributed to his uh, being their top RBI hitter this year for, for a lot of the season. He hits low in the lineup, and he hits a lot of line drives. In fact, he's the second most frequent line drive hitter behind Bryce Harper on the Phillies in 2023 and 2022. Those numbers pretty much held solid for him. He hit uh, just about 23.5% line drives uh, a frequency in 2022 and 2023. And that's... That's just good hit. That's solid hitting. And if you have a guy who's just driving the ball when you got runners on base, even if he's making outs, you know the cliche that the line drives will just will start falling eventually. And then you get now you're knocking run knocking base runners in. And he has been playing that role. And he has he has 
blossomed as a defensive third baseman. Certainly not the best in the league, but he doesn't have to be. You know, he just had to be a passable third baseman, and he has done that. And maybe there'll be some position shifts in the future, but in general, I think the story around Alec Bohm is that he too is a success. And it is good that a 27-year-old Alec Bohm is still here, he has been a part of multiple playoff teams, and that he has he has done his job reasonably well at the very least, which is not what you you talk about going back in time. Imagine going back and telling us, you know, five, seven years ago that a Phillies position player would play a role like that. Like that there was a whole lost generation of prospects and he was he came up after that and it was just like, well, here's another one of these guys. I wonder what's gonna go wrong here. And so far, this has been a success. You know, he doesn't have to be a superstar, and he's not, but he could take another step forward. I expect him and Stott, at least one of them, to take another step forward this year for the Phillies, and that's really exciting. So, in general, that's the that's the look I have on Alec Bohm, and I hope they, I hope the arbitrage they they typically <laughs> side with ownership, except that one time with Ryan Howard where he broke ownership's winning streak in arbitration cases with the Phillies. That was awesome. But I hope I, I hope Alec I have gets a his feeling. Money. I feel like if they they can settle in the middle, it, it can be the arbitrator can decide the amount. Because I don't, I I think Bohm has a solid argument for why he deserves more. Cut the baby in it. half, they say. Well, I mean, it, but the <laughs> fact that he was able to main, he had a, it was a legitimate breakout. It wasn't an anomaly. He maintained, he maintained in 2023, and in 2020, he has the proof that in 2022, he took a bad moment on the field, not only turned it into. A, a turning point for himself. He turned it into marketing fodder. Yeah, they wear shirts with that on it now. The Phillies <laughs> legitimately made money off of that. <laughs> that's true. Wow. That's what he should open with. Like, hey, you guys sold some, well, maybe not the Phillies, but some bootleg guys sold some shirts in the parking lot. I made them money. So I'm, I'm putting money in the Philadelphia community just by, just by being here and, and, you know, muttering to myself as I walk off the field. <laughs> Yeah, like I maybe they will sign with the Phillies, but I think I don't know if he if he'll get what he wants, but I think he'll get some of it. I I could see settling in the middle as a a likely I mean, I know nothing and it's probably going to be the opposite of what I say, but I feel like they'll settle in the middle because he has a solid case to make. He's got he's got the numbers to back it up. You know, he's a he's, you know, grown in the Phillies lab. He's a he is a success story. You're right. And I think that is his argument, too, because what are the Phillies going to say? Yes, yeah, sorry. We did our job too well. He's too good. He's not four million dollars. Good. But yeah, that's exa- but like, in essence, that's what they're saying. They're just like, yeah, he's too good. It's our fault. Whoops. But the Phillies did agree to one-year deals with Ranger Suarez, like I said, as well as Gregory Soto, Jeff Hoffman, and Edmundo Sosa. Bohm is the outlier. They will be exchanging figures uh, for next year. The deadline, I believe, is 8 p.m. on Thursday. They could reach an agreement before then. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens again. This is this is what makes for high drama this offseason, an arbitration case. So just uh, you know, keep your ears and eyes open, and we will keep you updated. Well, in other news, 
just quote quotation marks around it at the moment. In other news, Sunday night baseball games were announced on ESPN. And now, Liz, I know what you're thinking. The Phillies are great. The Phillies are famous. The Phillies are playing in a top market in MLB. They are they have been endlessly gushed over in regards to their fans and the environment at Citizens Bank Park. It's a heck of a place to uh, broadcast a baseball game. They're a fun team to watch. They play. They played in some of the best games of the MLB regular season last year. They hit a lot of home runs. They have a ton of great vibes. It's fun to watch them interact with each other. And they are a really good team that's been on two deep playoff runs in the past two seasons. So, yeah, I bet you're thinking they're all over this schedule. Liz, there are no Phillies games on Sunday Night Baseball scheduled for the first half of the 2024 season. Are you devastated? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I don't care. I saw that and I was actually, I was legitimately, le- legitimately surprised that they weren't. But it's almost just like, yeah, they've let us down. Our most reliable, you know, narrative, you know, fodder, they let us down. We are punishing them by taking them off national television, forgetting, in fact, that we all hated it last year when they were all over the place. That's what I was going to say. Everyone was Everyone was insulted by this, but everyone also complains nonstop during ESPN broadcasts, which I don't love either. Uh, but at the same time, you know, yeah, that's that's. That's what happens when they put you on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball is that it's an ESPN broadcast. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, it was fun to watch them in like the, the Little League Classic. I loved that. But, you know, in general, this is, yeah, this is this is meaningless. It's not like Sunday Night Baseball is is like a crown, is like an award for, for teams that are really good. They make it up now because they're like, all right, who is interesting? Who are, who are the teams people want to watch? Which is why... The Dodgers are all over this schedule. Three different games oh, yeah. in March, April, and June will feature the Dodgers. The uh, the Yankees are, of course, all over this, but ESPN loves the Yankees. So that was always going to happen. Uh, they have two games in June and one in August. There's going to be a Yankees-Red Sox game. That will be a giant waste of everyone's time, but because... Some ancient lore discovered under the floorboards in Bristol said they had to air at least one Yankees Red Sox game every year. They got one of them on the schedule, too. There are two Cubs games. There are two Rangers games, which obviously isn't weird. They just won the World Series. And one of those games is against Houston and Texas and Houston. You know, they're trying to build that rivalry up as well. Uh, so, like, it's not like none of this does, it makes no sense. Well, the Red Sox having two different games makes no sense. But at the same time, you can't look at this and and think, well, these are the teams everyone wants to see. In some cases, it's not. But uh, it also doesn't matter in the slightest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, I I looked and it was just like, I mean, sure, I I don't care. Maybe I'll watch. Maybe I won't. I don't feel like it's not like football where you miss a whole lot when you miss Sunday night baseball because yeah. you miss a baseball game out of 162. And it's yes, even more than true. that. Like every team plays like every team plays a lot of games. You're not missing much because it's just one game that you missed. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, 
they they play in prime time and like I I don't know I guess that just feels it almost sort of feels like a playoff game like everybody got very into the Field of Dreams game because that felt like a a playoff game in the middle of the season because it was just this kind of standout game that you know that was like the only one being played at that time so and I, I don't know I think at some point in time it was seen as some kind of honor but. I don't know. I just don't like the ESPN baseball product very much. And so I'm not particularly thrilled or impressed. Yeah. And especially when it's like, yeah, okay, well, definitely regardless of what they did, slot the Yankees in there a bunch of times. And for the same reason, slot the Red Sox in there a bunch of times, because apparently everybody just wants to watch those teams. Dodgers, obviously, they should they should have just made every one of these games a Dodgers game. Like (laughs) at this point in the offseason, if you're making the schedule now, in your head, the Dodgers are like the only team that's really made the kind of moves uh, fans want to see their teams make. Obviously, the Braves have, have made some noise and you know, the Cubs have made some noise and you know, t- some teams have made some deals. But obviously, the Dodgers have dominated the conversation this winter. Um, speaking of the Braves, you get are you unnerved at all by Alex Anthopoulos? They're they're. I don't know, is he the president of baseball ops? Whatever, the chief decision maker of their front office, the architect of their current success, getting signed to the Braves uh, through 2031? I'm, eh. <laughs> I don't know. It was going to be hard anyway. It was going to be, that's the thing. Like, it was. it's already hard. There will come a point where they beat the Phillies in the playoffs. It will happen, guys. But until then, you know, like, what are, what are they going to do? Make it harder? It's already super difficult. The worst also, that can happen is that they lose. I mean, well, yeah. At what point do the Braves start? Will they be on the way down? It feels like they never. They... <laughs> the, that's the thing. The Phillies want to be, the, you know, they want to be that type of team. Like, and the Braves are trying to be the Dodgers. The Braves are trying to be mm-hmm. a team that. You know, there is never a window. You know, it's not that there's a, a window that's open or closed. It's literally just an unsafe open window at all times. <laughs> <laughs> the, there's always the path to the playoffs. It's never closed. So, uh, like, and the Phillies want to be that type of team, too. So, like, what am I going to do? Be scared that they, you know, I, I'm just not. I like the Red Sox approach of let's pretend we're in on all these free agents but never actually get any of them or make any of the deals that are on the table. And then let's just, let's just put a lid over our entire organization and um, assume, you know, we're just going to build an environment just like the Dodgers have, but like totally in house in a way that, Oh, is that, is that a cheaper way to do that? Oh, I didn't even think about the money. <laughs> Love that. Uh, but Don't yeah, you're not going to see a whole lot of primetime Phillies, not on ESPN and not in That's the season's fine. first half. And honestly, yes, for the, I, I prefer it. I said this last year, too. I, I always prefer it when the Phillies are successful but not the focus of the league. When they become the focus, that's when, I don't know, you just start making a lot more enemies and you got a lot more targets on your back. And once the whole postseason start started whining. and the, and the Citizens Bank Park is, you know, you can't win at Citizens Bank Park things came into play and yeah, that that started getting way out of hand way too fast. So, mm-hmm. And I swear to God, if I hear dancing on my own this year, I we should all riot and rampage. No we're, more. We're done. We're done with that. I, we were done with it last year. They brought it back. We don't need for it anymore. La- for like, lack of any other thing to do, I guess. Yeah. 
Well, I want to go down this road before we finish up this episode. I want to talk about prospects a little bit. Some more prospect top 10 lists came out involving the Phillies. And John Stolnes just talked to uh, Jeff Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus, who authored that top 10 list uh, on Wednesday. But I wanted to I wanted to just compare lists because multiple top prospect lists are out right now. And what's interesting to me is the differences between them. Because I feel like it's a little more dramatic than usual. Which doesn't mean that people don't know how to read the Phillies farm system. It's more just that like people who are, who are experts, or at least well-read in the prospect world, see multiple guys who could be on the top 10 list of, 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 a, of the Phillies prospects. Which I think is a good thing. For it to be like a, a wider berth of names, I think is, is a good thing. Now... Uh, we talked about Andrew Painter being at the top of the Fangraphs top 10 Phillies prospects list and how interesting that was, given that he did not pitch and is still injured from um, his uh, his health concerns in 2023. But he's also at the top of the list for baseball prospectus as well. Uh, and that's saying I feel like a heck of a lot <laughs> about a guy that he can remain at the top of these lists despite not pitching and despite still rehabbing from an injury. Um, baseball prospectus has Aiden Miller at number two, Mick Abel at number three, uh, Fangraphs had him at number two, uh, Abel, I mean, Starlin Kaba at four, Justin Crawford at five, Orion Kirkering at six, William, William Bergola at seven, Carlos de la Cruz at eight, Griff McGarry at nine and Eduardo Tate, a catcher at number 10. Griff McGarry, if you don't re- recall, was down to number 25 on Fangraphs list. So some differences of opinion there um but i i I, yeah i just saw some names on the bp list that weren't on the fangraphs list like um de la cruz like william bergola and and you know you just kind of wonder like okay they're they're seeing things here that the other group didn't see and there'll be other lists from baseball america from mlb.com mlb pipeline you know other other list of prospects to be interested in you'll see how different things are there as well but yeah i think the phillies just have um they have some interesting names here. They're not a highly, very highly ranked farm system just yet, but feels like things are really starting to kick into gear down there. And the other thing I wanted to mention, since I said Aiden Miller's name, the young shortstop they just drafted, uh, I think Aiden Miller may have gotten his first introduction to the Phillies world, uh, truly, uh, as far as the fans go, this week when the <laughs> Flyers oh, no. saga went down yeah it was great to see how this this all went down uh the flyers saga went down with i'm sorry what is his name cutter uh gotier gotier cutter gotier the young draft pick of the flyers who decided after they drafted him that he would not be interested in playing in philadelphia which is typically a decision you make known before you let a team draft you but in any case uh he was traded to anaheim and it just kicked off a whole bunch of feelings, just kicked the whole barrel over. Flyers dominated the Philly sports news landscape uh, for a, a couple of days there, which I feel like that rarely happens. Um, oh, yeah. But it was because of this, because Philadelphia was scorned, because there are a bunch of quotes from John Tortorella and other members of the Flyers uh, saying, like, well, you know, he doesn't want to be here. We don't want somebody here who doesn't want to be here. You know, you got all these great, all these great quotes, all these Philly fans, like, they're never going to be louder and we're never going to be 
um, angrier and more unified than when someone else has scorned us. So now you have this like 20, what, 21 year old, 20 year old kid out in Anaheim who's going to come to Philadelphia the first time. And I mean, he's just going to get annihilated, but this yeah. all has to do with. <laughs> it's just going to be like literally an entire three, all entire periods full of booing. And so the Phillies draft pick Aiden Miller enters this. <laughs> not not by any fault or reason of his own, but because then people began tweeting at him saying, Aiden Miller wants to be here. We love Aiden Miller. Like, Aiden Miller, who, like, it's not like he held a press like, conference hello? to it's be like, like, I want to be in Philadelphia. It's like, yeah, it's the team that drafted him. And hello, I'm sorry. <laughs> but people were framing it like. I believe this is the off season. Can I help you? <laughs> I'm trying to stick to this workout regimen. I'm trying to put on the muscle they want me to put on. Like you know, I'm I'm trying to work with these te- with these uh, trainers and and get my reps in and you know, get my swings in and everything. And, and Phillies fans are like, "You are our new god king. You are, <laughs> yeah. You, we we stand Aiden Miller. He's gonna he's gonna love Philadelphia. He's gonna be." bleed philadelphia blah 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 and and he's like kid, holy god he probably checked his uh mentions and was just like what oh in, no the, who is cutter gutt what, what is going on <laughs> well guess what buddy you're involved now so <laughs> sorry to be or not <laughs> we Welcome are to this so very mess. sorry there's nothing we can really do for you this is you just have to get through it <laughs> poor kid well, in any oh, case, we're sad for him. That's <laughs> uh, not, not sad for him, but just, you know, it's always a rude awakening when your first step into a, a new world is, is, is this is the <laughs> Philadelphia at its ward. Philadelphia sports at its most dramatic. It's uh, whew, that's it's coming in hot. But always. in any case, I, I recommend uh, if you're somebody who, who is interested in prospects or well, if you're interested in prospects, you know about this stuff far, far before long before I tell you about it. But if you're someone who wants to get more into Phillies prospects and use that as a way to pass the time before spring training starts, uh, I recommend you head over to Baseball Prospectus, check out the Phillies top 10 list, learn a little bit more about these guys. It is fun getting a little more educated on new crops of prospects or, or the guys who pop up on a top 10 list because, you know, not all of them will become major leaguers or play for the Phillies, but some of them will, and, and it's always it's it's always more enriching, I feel, to be familiar with a guy by the time he reaches the major leagues. So uh, I, I recommend you head over to BP, head over to Fangraphs, too, and check out their list as yes. well. Yes, Phillies fan Eric Longenhagen does excellent work over at Fangraphs. He is a wonderful guy. You know, him and Jeff Paternostro and Jared Seidler are like the three people that I trust the most uh, that are you know that don't do specifically Phillies work. Yes. So, you know, go go and and read their read all of their words. And one last bit, uh, Baseball America actually broke down three breakout prospects for every for 2024 for for every team. And I wanted to just run through the guys that they picked for the Phillies. They have three names here. I am not familiar with any of them. So in the spirit of educating ourselves on prospects, I wanted to just go through th- these three guys. So at least the names were in your head because. They are so young that you are probably not going to hear about them for a very long time. But <laughs> no. when they break, if they break out this year, that's a huge first step as far as like development goes. We're talking about the difference between moving from like a rookie league into Clearwater into low like low A to high A and that 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 kind of level jumping. But um, again, these guys are at least one of them's a teenager. So babies, yeah. Uh, but first name was Devin Saltaban, an 18 year old from Hawaii, which always makes my ears prick up when I'm 
Shane Victorino better be giving him a phone call. Uh, Saltamon was drafted as an outfielder, but then a Phillies cross-checker saw him taking grounders and was apparently like, oh, he's an infielder now. So that's apparently how that happens. Uh, smooth swing for contact and power Saltabon has, but he's a teenager who's played in 10 games in the Florida Instructional League, so he's still got talent <laughs> gaps like, can he hit a fastball thrown by a professional baseball pitcher, and so forth. They will figure those things out in the season to come, but he is said to have good speed, a good arm, and as a shortstop now... Uh, well, he's got the next decade plus to figure that position out while Trey Turner plays out his deal. Uh, but no, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what position a guy is going to wind up at from the time he's drafted to the time he makes it to the major leagues, should he make it to the major leagues. Uh, but that was an interesting one to me. TJ Walton from the IMG Academy in Florida. IMG Academy is apparently, uh, what I learned was they are like the bad guys in any kid's sports movie. They are yeah. a war machine young talent in western Florida. So when you hear that a prospect the Phillies took in the fourth round of the draft was considered the best hitter out of IMG Academy, that's not saying nothing. Walton is viewed as a pure power threat whose future is to play passable defense in right field before inevitably aging into a DH role. <laughs> <laughs> he is bad at everything but batting. And in, at some point, he will be too bad to hide it anymore. I prefer to use the word passable. I feel like that's all he's that's, that makes it makes it easier. That's all he's got to be is passable, passable at most aspects of the game, except that he is a huge power threat, which is very fun news. Obviously, the Phillies don't have enough guys whose who's sole big feature is being able to hit home runs. Uh, his game and the Phillies' plans for him are more or less based around him growing into that power role. But again, you know, you never you never know. Development is quite a process. Uh, and finally, Caden Hedegar, a catcher out of California prep school. He has also become a power threat, but he's considered flexible and strong enough to keep being a catcher. Which, you know, again, prospects staying at... That's always like phase one. is like, okay, they drafted a guy, he plays this position. Will he still be that position when he is signing his contract? Who's to say? In this kid's case, yes, they apparently want to keep him as a catcher. The swing isn't all the way there yet, but the Phillies plan to work out the hiccups so he can become the high power low contact hitter for which he projects to be and as an added note to his catching prowess scouts from multiple organizations have apparently been impressed by his defense so he's not a one-dimensional player by any means uh, but i just thought that was interesting i wanted to share that three guys that baseball america say have the chance to break out for the phillies in 2024 so if that's your cup of tea keep an eye out uh, one last thing wanted to say this is t today is the 30th anniversary of Steve Carlton being inducted into the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. I wanted to note that I wanted to note that. And it also made me think of a story. I was researching something uh, recently and uh, I found an article about how <laughs> back in the 70s, the three headed Phillies architect of their success that they achieved in that era was considered to be Paul Owens, uh, Scout Hugh Alexander and um, Dallas Green. And Hugh Alexander, I found, I just stumbled upon an article about his resignation from the Phillies. He was just like so disgruntled and unhappy. And uh, it was like 1987 by that point. And he was like, I just feel like nobody's listening to me anymore. There was a point in his career when it was considered, oh, when he starts talking in a room full of evaluators, everybody shuts up because what he's saying has immense value. But it had been 16 years since he'd, uh, since he'd been scouting for the Phillies at this point. Uh, it made a huge impact on the franchise. Uh, at this point, though, yeah, he was like, I feel like I've been kind of put out to pasture. He goes to visit Paul Owens, the general, the general manager, and was like, 
I don't, I'm not going to take this anymore. And Bill Giles, the owner, was, was uh, quoted as saying, Huey was an important part of the Phillies for the last 16 years. We hope to go on for the next 16 years with other people doing his job. We'll survive this one. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll survive this one as we have survived others. Like, dude, this guy was just here for like a decade and a half. He, he did things like, and this is why I'm relating it back to Carlton, tell them to trade for Steve Carlton. Like he did things like that. And you're just like, yeah, whatever. And should be noted that it's 1987. The Phillies would make one postseason appearance between, you know, in the next 20 years from 87. uh, Yeah. 87 to 2007. They made it in 93. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you had all of the skill you thought you have without this guy around. So that was just a funny moment historically that I found uh, among many funny moments involving the Philadelphia Phillies and their decision-making in the past. Well done and great job, everyone. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) All right. Well, as always, uh, head on over to billypen.com slash hit and season for new episodes of hit and season as the off season continues. And Oh, before you forget, and certainly before I forget, you yes. still have two weeks to head over to the Sports Podcast Awards. You can find the link uh, pinned to the top of my Twitter profile, as well as John Stolnes's. Uh, and you click that link to go to the Sports Podcast Awards and vote for Best Baseball Podcast. We are right there, hitting season. Uh, so feel free to click vote. And you will be doing us a solid because uh, we do a lot of great work here and it's always fun. It's fun to be acknowledged even as a finalist because we we are we did make it to this round of best baseball podcast rubbing shoulders with some national uh, broadcasts podcasts that you are familiar with. So, you know, we're in we're in good company and this is a good spot. But, you know, we 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 put on a good show here and we would appreciate your support as you have supported us this long already. So uh, sports podcast awards head on over there and vote for us for best baseball podcast. Uh, and yeah, stay stay here with Hitting Season as the offseason continues and we bring you updates as to what the Phillies do next because eventually we will be talking about something on this Yay! show. I know it. I can feel it in my bones. Something is coming. But from WHYY and Billy Penn, I'm Justin Clue. I'm Liz Rocher. And this has been Hitting Season. <laughs>